Welcome to the family with Ross Haynes, Alex Brampernard Rasmussen, co-host Catherine Brandt, and Andy Brampernard. Ross Haynes with us, ladies and gentlemen. The Invisible Wounds Project. This is right in the wheelhouse. We love this. How'd you get involved? Uh, I started it. You started the whole thing? I did, yeah. What drove you to do that? Uh, I spent 17 years in law enforcement. Uh, I was a police officer, corrections officer, 911 dispatcher. And uh, wow. long story real short, in 2015, 2016, I was really struggling and uh, looking around for help, and I couldn't find any uh, really? for, for a guy like me. There's a lot of veteran resources, um, and my dad's a, a Navy vet, and that's kind of how we really got into starting doing some nonprofit stuff. And then um, I couldn't find anything that worked with first responders or anything in that really, regard. Yeah. So I said, well, I better, we should start something. So now where, where were you a cop? Um, I was actually in Golden Valley. Uh-oh, uh, for, for, I knew I had oh, really I, I, I was there. Uh, <laughs> actually, when it was under construction and people kept stealing, uh, you know, equipment and stuff off the site on occasion. I, I So I, I walked through it a few times. When they were building our house. Yep. Oh, <laughs> That was a thrill. <laughs> yeah, well. So I, I was in Golden Valley. It was a hot minute. It was like ten months of my life. Um, oh, I was okay. in I was in Rice County. I was at Rice County Sheriff's Office, okay. and then um, I spent uh, a lot of time. Ten and a half years of that seventeen years was working in uh, nine one one dispatch with Hennepin County. So again, I was in Golden Valley during that time at the yeah. dispatch center, and then uh, went to Metro Transit for two and a half years downtown. God, I just heard from Nate Gove. Remember Nate? Yeah. Nate, yep. Nate just texted me the other day. He wants to get together. I actually wanted me to, I think, play in a charity benefit, but I can't do that. So we're going to go out and have a little lunch or whatever. Really great people. Uh, actually, the, the Golden Valley Coppers, I still go over. When one retires that was there when, when we lived there, I still go over to the, uh, the headquarters and watch him just retire from the, from the force. Uh, Golden Valley Coppers... Did a really, really pretty good job. Coppers. Yeah. Coppers. Love coppers. The coppers. Keystone Cops. Those packfoots over there have, at Golden Valley. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we used to have to call the cops once in a while, and Catherine would call them because somebody right across the lake would stand there with their schwanz <laughs> hanging out. Yeah. It's like, mm-hmm. could you just not do that? Yeah. Yeah. What did we call that? Bare-ass beach? Bare-ass bare beach. Well, when we, when we first moved there, it seemed to be that, that people, that, you know, that they were arresting people for that kind of stuff. But then as time went on and the city council changed and mm-hmm. the people on the park board changed, it seemed like that was a very, very low it's priority. They were already just, and it was, it was, it was not just the nudity. I mean, the nudity no, was, was like not, not that no. big of a deal. Really, no. it was the screaming and the drug yep. use and yeah. the stuff in the middle of the night. And it was a lot more going on than just people hanging out with their their butts hanging out. <laughs> that's true. Well, I'll tell you, yeah. that's one of the really unique spaces in the whole metro, anyway. Because oh, it is. Yeah. No doubt about it. I mean, it. yeah. I remember, honest to God, Russ, and I'm not kidding you. Uh, I'm coming home one day, and there there's a helicopter over the lake, and there are all these cop cars and all the rest of it. Is that when that guy drowned in there? No, it's when the woman walked out trying to drown herself. Oh. Remember that story? Yeah. She walked out, and I will never forget this as long as I live. I shouldn't be laughing, but I'm sorry. It was a good visual. So they finally entice her to come out of the lake because she just wanted to walk in deep enough and just drown. She was mm-hmm. trying to kill herself, right? Yep. Which is not the funny part. No. No. So, no, here's the funny part, though. So they finally talk her into coming out. So she's coming out and coming out and coming out. And 
she's at her chin level, then she's at her, you know, collarbone level, get down. As they get down to her waist, I notice she's wearing a Hazelden t-shirt. <laughs> I was like, really? Yeah. Did you oh, learn irony. anything out there? Not a great <laughs> advertisement. You probably don't want to be drowning. Well, your you know, so many times those. people that yeah. have substance okay. abuse problems have mental uh, disorders. Oh, yeah. or Quite often, yeah. Whatever That's the, a very I common imagine, thing. I yeah. imagine it is a very common thing. Russ Haynes, in studio with us, ladies and gentlemen. The Invisible Wounds Project provides access to quality therapy services, wellness activities, social connection, and other support services to Minnesota's military, first responders, frontline medical staff, corrections, dispatch, and their families related to mental health, PTSD, suicide issues. You couldn't be in a more friendly room because uh, we are very, very pro-cop, pro-every person you mention on this list, as a matter of fact. I, I don't like it when I hear the cops being criticized nonstop in this state. Minnesota's gotten to a point where it's like, oh, if you're a cop, I hate you. Yeah. It's like, what is that? Yeah. How, how are you going to stay safe? I'll be very honest with them, right? Well, they're finding out. It's very yeah. hard to do. Well, everybody gets shot every night now. Every <laughs> night, three, four, five people get shot. Yeah, cop was just shot last week, right? Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable. Murder's what they voted for, murder's what they get. <laughs> I guess. Well, I think that's exactly right, Andy. So, how do you? Uh, how did you get involved in this? You started the whole thing, you said. Yeah. So, I mean, I started mm-hmm. it, uh, I was... It started in 2009, really, as a, I wanted to pay tribute to my dad, who's a Vietnam vet, and I'm into old cars and stuff like that. So we started an event um, that was called Poker Run for Patriots, and it was just a way to give back to to veteran groups. And we had like a dozen cars and 25, 30 people in a parking lot, and we went on a little poker run, and and it grew over time. And then uh, I think the statute of limitations has run out, but I I got wind that that you can't do poker runs, um, according not? to the Minnesota Gambling Control Board. So, oh, of course. Uh, oh, yes. so then we had to we had to change oh, our gosh. what we you were did. doing. Um, if you if you would have given them a, given them a cut, you would have been <laughs> exactly. licensing uh, no, no fees comment, or something. No comment. Uh, so so then we <laughs> no we found a a charity to run it underneath the umbrella of, um, and, and so we ran under the umbrella of that uh, and changed the name to Cruise for Troops and. Then in 2015, like I said, I was really struggling. For, so 20, really, in, in what we've found is that like kind of year th- 11 to 17 is where we start mm-hmm. to really see a lot of um, what's called complex PTSD and, and that trauma that builds up. It's not one specific incident. It is just the culmination of a lot of things. Right. And And I was in that zone. Um, so in 2013, um, I left Hennepin County. Uh, where I was a dispatcher, tried to find a greener pastures, thought money was the key or whatever, went to Metro Transit. That was great for about four, five, six months. And then the rose-colored glasses wore off. And then I was right back to being miserable, hating life, being a crappy dad, (laughs) crappy husband, uh, crappy employee towards the end, you know. And and I started to look at things going, okay, I got to make some kind of change. And I looked for resources. I couldn't find anything. And so I said, you know, we're already raising, you know, $30,000 a year with this one event. And it's kind of a, it's something I really am passionate about. Let's just turn it into a nonprofit and figure out a way to help the people like me and others. Cause I, I looked around, I mean, I got friends that are in, that are cops, firefighters, medics, uh, nurses, all that stuff that we help corrections officers, um, they're all dealing with the same stuff. It's a little different lens, 
but they're all dealing right. with similar issues. And so we kind of, we started from there. And it, of course, when you, I myself was struggling, it's a little hard to get, you know, things rolling um, when you're struggling yourself. So it took a couple of years to really take hold. 2019 um, kind of got my crap together, let's say. And, and uh, you know, we, we started to hit the road and then, uh, and mind you, this is all volunteer at the time and 2020 hit, then you had COVID. Oh God! So yeah. we had, yep. um, it was like a, a perfect storm. We had COVID and then two months later we had George Floyd. So, I mean, this area is mm-hmm. an epicenter for what is happening nationwide, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it is a hotbed for that. Honestly, on the way in today, um, you know, I, I got a, uh, email from a grandmother whose granddaughter is a medic who is struggling severely, um, having suicidal ideation. And that's something that, you know, she's like, this is unbelievable. I, I, honestly, this is a regular call for us, oh, yeah. <clears throat> um, yep. multiple times a week. So while it's and everybody who's in that position thinks, okay, I'm the only one dealing with this. And yeah, that's true. Or I'm not I, strong enough. Yeah. I should be. Yeah. yeah. And so mm-hmm. my on my wristband here, it's you know you are not alone. That's something that we hand out to all of our people. That's and wonderful. You bring anybody, one for me. I need I, it. I got one. I got Thank one for God. you. Um, but that is that's something that when <laughs> when people are in their darkest spot, they they feel alone, and mm-hmm. um, we're here to help guide them into qualified resources. They might have access if they're if they're currently at an employer. They might have access to some of these same resources, but most of them lack um, faith in their employer or lack oh. the under. They don't they don't believe their employer is going to keep it quiet or that it's and, and rightly so. A lot of them. Um, so we really help guide them into the proper resources so they don't feel like they're a guinea pig, of or just you know pulling straws. Like let's see what mm. happens here. It's we have great people who are well qualified to work with them and and we get them into those proper resources and honestly it's a it can be a really quick transition from being suicidal to being in a good spot we have a fellow leo on the phone okay uh fellow leo it's one you know russell hello hello russell (laughs) who's this i'm gonna play this i'm gonna play this for a minute okay it used to be five Four, one, three. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. How you doing, bud? Good. How are you? We're all like, I'm what fine. just happened? <laughs> he, I, I used to dispatch for this guy. Oh, you know is, I know who uh, this is. Well, yeah, of course we do. <laughs> we all know. Yeah. Uh, phenomenal. You're doing well, man. I'm glad you you got things figured out and it's working out for you thank you that's that's awesome and you're in a good spot right there to don't let tom push you around he's really <laughs> not as intimidating as he seems okay oh, here <laughs> we go until yeah. it starts you're yelling it's scary especially with tiny guys <laughs> like you it was weird that they took the they took the doorknob off is that normal oh <laughs> <laughs> well, so you still you still in the cars, bud? Yeah, absolutely. Phenomenal. I, I mean, I, cool. I I wish I had more time to actually do old cars and stuff. I've got you know now yeah. I just run kids around like 
I wish I got paid by the mile for running kids. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Probably yeah. be a billionaire oh, by now. Yeah. Probably. <laughs> I said. So, I'll, I'll let you get your message out, Russ, but I had to had to say hi. That's haven't nice. talked to you in forever and wanted to wanted to let you know I'm, I'm proud of you. You're doing well, man. Thank you. Great to hear from you, man. You bet. Take it easy, Russ. You too. All right, little Bye. fella. <laughs> <laughs> He starts laughing. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean. Bryant, what's the latest? Uh, we're just trying to represent people who have been injured through no fault of their own. We're trying to talk to them before they talk to an adjuster or before they take a settlement that isn't something they should get based upon their injuries. How many people are out there in different, not in the law business, that love to run around scaring people before you even get to them? Well, adjusters will want to settle cases right. and they want to close files. So based upon that, they do what they have to. Um, I think there's a lot of circumstances where they probably act as attorneys where they're not attorneys and they try yeah. to explain people's rights or they give them a certain view that if they look at it. And what I always say is this, if the adjuster really truly thinks the offer they made makes sense, they'd have them come see us. You know, And that's exactly my question is you have to understand who has the best your best interest in mind correct well you want to know what your rights are you know whether yep. or not you decide yep. you're going to hire us or not that's a choice it's a free consultation and you want to understand what your all your rights are and what coverages you have and plus the fact i hang out with you so you got to be a good guy <laughs> if i'm hanging out with you uh, maybe <laughs> uh, okay ladies and gentlemen michael bryant bradshaw and bryant Tom here. For years, you've heard me talk about my friends at North American Banking Company. They have great online and mobile banking options, plus friendly employees who are always ready to help. And with their location in Maple Grove now open, it's even more convenient for me and my family. Go visit my friends at any one of their six Twin Cities locations or go online to nabankco.com to learn more. Why not bank with my banker? North American Banking Company, a better banking experience, member FDIC and equal housing lender. You all have helped build MyPillow into the incredible company it is today and have trusted in Mike Lindell to give you a great night's sleep. Mike's latest incredible deal is on the Giza Dream Sheets, which you've heard me rave about before, that's for sure. These sheets are made from the world's best cotton, Giza. They are ultra soft and breathable, yet extremely durable. Right now, the Giza Dream Sheets at its lowest price ever. These sheets are 60% off, coming in as low as $39.99 with promo code TOM. You know, what's interesting, Russ, is that sitting here thinking about this and listening to you talk and all the rest of it, I started suffering from anxiety when I was seven years old. And that's a pretty early start for, for people. And I do to this day. I work on it a lot. I don't, I've never been suicidal about it. Not, you know, not that I remember anyway, but uh, I have suffered from anxiety my whole life mm -hmm. because of, you know, different things in the childhood and all the rest of it. I don't. I think a lot of people think that they're going to go and get rid of it, and then they're going to be out of it, and it, it's never going to go away a hundred percent. No, right? it, it is. It is a part of you. It um, is. There's yep. there's flare ups. There's things that happen yeah. that that trigger things. I can tell you, uh, and that's where we're wondering why are we seeing such a mass exodus after after the riots. Mm. The riots was a incredible trigger that oh so, yeah so i will liken it to this uh the typical first responder um you know over time let let's take a let's take a coke bottle analogy and and you've got all these things it starts as a you know it never starts empty because your childhood is there, there's a book out there anybody listening you should look it up uh called the body keeps the score 
um, amazing oh, yes. book that talks about trauma and how it develops over time. It's not something that is, I mean, there are triggers in, in single events, of course, but who we work with, it is not usually a single event. It is, right. you've oh, got God, your Coke yes. bottle, you got your two liter that is, you know, got a couple inches of Coke in it. And over the course of your career, you just keep filling it and filling it. Yep. That one trigger a call, and it can be something totally different for everybody. That's the Mentos that goes into it, and then you screw the top on. Right. And eventually, <laughs> that thing blows, blow, right? Man. You're not going to get that Coke back in the bottle. It's it's done. Right. Um, doesn't mean that you can't go on with life or that you won't go on with life mm-hmm. or that you can't continue to serve. Some can't, some can't. But these the riots and, and George Floyd and the pandemic hit people all at a... It was all at once. Yeah. Um, I mean, we work with a lot. We're, we're, I think, I don't know of any other organizations that really work with nurses. Um, we do. And we worked with a lot of nurses. We continue to work with nurses. Um, my, my sister was a, um, was on a COVID floor. Oh dear. Her plan was never to sit and bag bodies up. No, that's that, true. That's impacted her a lot. Oh, God, yes. You know, my wife um, <clears throat> is a ER manager now. She she was, um, you know, she's worked in the in the ER setting for a decade or more. That impacts not not only the nurses but the the managers and not being able to give resources to their employees and just it it yeah. just it hit a lot of people. I can't even imagine what that, that must be like to be in an ER and little children come in. Boy, that's got to take a lot out of you. Yeah. I would imagine anyway. I, you just yeah. are never going to get rid of something like that. No, it's, I mean, so so we, we have developed, I would say, you know, I don't know if it's an actual Rolodex, but we have a, we have a Rolodex <laughs> yeah. of resources of people that we can refer people to, help people get into. Um, you know, we're, we're looking at continuing to expand our services. Um, but what, I, what we've also found is that a lot of these individuals are lacking that connection. Um, so they, they might even be working still, but they're still isolating. So a, a great example. So a police officer, they work a 12-hour shift or 10-hour mm-hmm. shift. Most of the time at work, they are spending their time isolated in a squad car alone with themselves. Um, they might go to a call with a partner, and they're there for 10, 15, 30 minutes, but then they go back into their car alone. They go to roll call at the end and see you later, go back home. And if they are struggling, 90% of the time they are then isolating at home. They're not talking to their wife or their significant other or their friends. They start to shut down. They no longer accept that invite to go out fishing or do do things mm-hmm. that they once enjoyed. And that is those are warning signs that if if you have friends like that, please reach out. And continue to reach out to them, but reach out to others and looking for help to help them. Cause I can promise you they're isolating and that's a, that's, that's the start of, of where it goes. So getting those individuals who are isolating out of the house, socializing with others who are struggling, doing things as mm-hmm. going through stuff the same way that they are is incredibly healing. Alex and Andy, now Andy has, a, he's a, his son's about to turn two in November. Alex has a seven-year-old and a five-year-old. How do you guys, can you guys read when your child is developing anxiety? 
Uh, like, you know, it's well, growing it's a bigger. Two-year-old, it's not difficult. No. <clears throat> no, I suppose not with a two-year-old. They'll, they'll let you know. They'll tell you. They'll tell you flat out. Yeah, sometimes but, it's like well, he, he'll go get a book from the bookshelf, and he'll bring it to one of us. And then we're like, no, that's, that." I'll say, like, you know, that's mom's book. And he'll, like, throw himself on the ground and kick his feet because I don't want to read the mommy <laughs> book today. So there's really no ambiguity when it comes to a two-year-old. No, yeah. not. If he's feeling something, you're going to know about it. I'm guessing Sage is probably similar. Well, and Sage, you can tell. Oh, God. Generally, mm-hmm. like, I was just watching them for a long weekend, and Sage, he's got these little tells. Mm-hmm. It's like he's he got does. 15 minutes left in him, and he's yep. going to blow, so we better get out of here. <laughs> you don't just really gonna start blow. holding emotions <laughs> in until probably six or seven. I, Fawn, Fawn has definitely been more of an internal process. Like she takes things mm-hmm. out in a really weird way. Like she either gets really tired and wants to be by herself, yep. or she gets angry. I can relate. And yeah, I know. <laughs> um, so she's definitely more internal, and I'm like, it's a little mm-hmm. bit more like, what's up? How's it going? And she doesn't even know how she's feeling until yep. after the fact, mm-hmm. which Dan's that way too. And then Sage is like me, where it's just like we just wear everything out. Yeah. And it's like, here's how I'm feeling in this second. And I have to talk and talk and talk about it and then cry and then I'm good. (laughs) There you go. Think of that, Russ. Yeah, that's burst into tears. Anxiety is something that, you know, you can, it's more about managing it, right? It's getting tools to, when you, you feel it, it, it coming on. It never goes on, away all it, no, the way. No, it's never going to well, go away. No, that's true. Every, well, yeah. everybody has anxiety about something anyway. And there's nobody that's anxiety free. I mean, no, I would say I mean, anxiety is a, is a natural, mm-hmm. that's, that's, it's a survival yeah. tool. I mean, animals are full of anxiety. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. I mean, it, it's a, you know, we off air, we were talking about dogs and mm-hmm. anxiety and my, Lord, do I have a dog that has anxiety? Yep. And honestly, I mean, it, it like triggers me. I can tell you, I'm like, oh my God, that dog drives me nuts. Right. But um, it is a normal thing. Um, yeah. And and that's so. That's part of what you know. We need to normalize these conversations because I can tell you the data shows, and there's limited research when it comes to. We got a lot of research on veterans, okay, and that right. we expect <clears throat> veterans who go off to get deployed and all that to have this trauma and these, you know, these issues. We don't understand that this same, these same things are happening within all those other lines yeah. that we serve: the yeah. police, the fire, the EMS. Mm-hmm. It's it's happening. It is there, and it is, it is analogous. Um, death is death. Yeah, I mean, so yeah, well, it's going to mess you up. And we're working with. Uh, there's a. There's a um, professor down in at uh, Florida State University who did a research project with the Minnesota Department of Corrections. And he um, did research, I think it was from 2018 to 2020. He did this research on PTSD within corrections officers. And it was a smaller sample. It was, I think, 178 uh, corrections officers. And they would... um, they would spit in a cup before shift and they would spit in a cup after shift. And they did all kinds of other more scientific cortisol stuff. Cortisol levels, that. I'm guessing. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's cortisol, but then, um, and, uh, I can relate to this with the reading the book, the body keeps a score. And one of the findings that they had was that when there would be a critical incident, um, they just, their levels 
didn't really go up in certain spots where they should go. And and that is a that is a red flag because normal your normal body mm-hmm. when you're not in uh, you're not dealing with the PTSD or that struggle, you, you're gonna alert to critical incidents mm-hmm. and it, and that's gonna be a danger flag. And so those spikes are gonna go up. What what they found was that it didn't happen <clears throat> in in these individuals that had um, those PTSD trigger markers and stuff. So, I mean, he could tell you all about it. It's a, it's a far more than I'm uh, qualified to like Explain. talk about, but um, basically it, it came down to, uh, I think it was 42% of the individuals in that study had the PTSD markers um, in, in the, in their saliva and in the, they, really? Yeah. And then if they had a traumatic brain injury on top of that, 70%. Oh, wow. Hmm. Which, you know, you look at veterans and, and soldiers and stuff like that. A lot of them have TBIs on top of or traumatic mm-hmm. brain injuries on top of that PTSD. And that's where the danger zones are. God. Right. So it's, it's really about learning how to manage everything. Yeah. Yeah, it's coping skills, managing it, um, you know, and again, I can't get out of that, that I, the, the fact that so many isolate. Um, so trying to get them out of that isolation right. so they're not just Big. sitting in their basement. And, and oftentimes what happens is, I mean, they're, they're turning to alcohol, they're turning to other things, mm-hmm. and that's not good, you know? You know what amazes me about this is as we're talking, and I don't know if this is the usual thing or not, but I bet it probably is, as we're talking about anxiety, this, then, the other thing, in my head, I am seeing pictures of all the things that caused me anxiety from the time I was about seven years old. They're popping into my head. Isn't that odd? Well, well I, I mean, well, I think you replay those all the self-reflection. time. I do, yeah. Like yeah. daily. You yeah. constantly are going through your anxiety. You live in a very anxious state in general. I'm trying to get out of it, but it ain't working Tell me, so uh, What do we got here? Hey. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. yeah. You're a very, very anxious person. I Your whole guess. family's very, very anxious. No, it's true. Well, but again, I mean, seven years old, I'm in the kitchen. I hear the glass break in the back door. I look up and it's my father who broke the glass who could come in because he had been stabbed in the back. Yeah. You're never going to get rid of that. No. As a seven-year-old kid seeing that it's never going to leave my brain, is it? Well, no, it's not going to leave your brain, but perhaps through the right pieces, right. the triggers of that. Um, and that's where some of our amazing experts that we work right. with work within that, um, where we've had really good results with people who are in stuff like that. But I, I would highly encourage you, especially to to read or listen via the um you know, via an audio book to that, the body keeps the score because mm-hmm. I have a copy if you'd like to borrow. There you go. So <laughs> honestly, what what happens? It's it's not just we all come into things with predisposed. Yeah, we've got stuff. I mean, it's part of this. The body keeps the score. They talk about, um, you know, a, a a child who is sexually assaulted is <clears throat> seven times more likely to become an adult victim of sexual assault because really? they have been predisposed to, Hey, this is normal God. for somebody to do this. And yeah, it's what, it's why we have, I don't know. I don't, I can't speak on the hereditary side of it, but it is, 
it is why we have this cycle within neighborhoods or families or groups because that mm. is that is what is normal and that is what is handed down oftentimes and unless we properly break that sure. cycle that that continues to happen and that's that's where within the first responder roles and stuff like that the how we treat mental health and how we look at it well it's just continued to be handed down over time to suck it up move right. on ignore it you just got to be tougher than that well that that does not work it's it's a great idea hey just ignore that you know dead body that you saw hanging there in the hallway that's <laughs> exactly. fine that's that's not yeah and then you you have to be tough and yeah. and you do you have to put that you have to put on a different face to go talk to the family or to let them yeah. know that their loved one is in fact in the house when you went there for a welfare check um, and you have to break that news to them, but you have to be able to dispose of that in a healthy manner. And that's, that's really where we're trying to go, right? We've been working with a lot of people in crisis, but we want, we need people, we need our protectors. We need people to remain on the job. Mm -hmm. We need to keep them healthy. So um, we need to do an upstream approach and provide more resources that, help them deal with it before it becomes a crisis. You know, it's interesting, and it, and it just kind of popped up again. Um, but I was taught many, many years ago about a personal circle, that everybody, whether they know it or not, has a circle around them, the personal circle. Now, my family's inside my circle, and, and I learned a long time ago, I was taught, well, you remember Perry, Perry Roth, when I would go mm-hmm. see Perry? He taught me a long time ago. He said, Tom, you have to because, you know, you're a bigger guy and all the rest of it. I mean, I'm no Officer Dave, but, you know. <laughs> Who is? <laughs> but nobody is. Except for him. <laughs> but he, he taught me a long time ago in, to control my anger part of the anxiety, the anxiety that brought on anger, is, is to tell people I, I have a circle around my family and me and don't come in here causing trouble. Because I will get so incredibly angry, you ain't going to like it. Yeah. And it has worked for me really, really well. I mean, I think, Catherine, you've only seen me a couple of times go on a, and go after somebody who did something in front of me I hated. You know, I don't do it very often. And then when I was much younger, I used to do it all the time. You know, like that one time when a guy pulled up that, that girl's skirt in front of him going into the, into the restaurant. Mm-hmm. I learned... Once in a while, I still pop a bolt when somebody does something that horrible. But they, there are things that you can be taught to control your anger and anxiety and all the rest of it. And that's why I even bring it up. Yeah. That, for me personally, that circle, imaginary circle around me really helps me a lot. Yeah. Just stay out there. If, now, you can come in the circle anytime you want, unless you're going to be an asshole. Then you can't come in at all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty common, isn't it? Yeah. And, you know, and one of my, uh, I have an intake coordinator, Sean, who he, and he didn't come up with this, but he, he, uh, he mentions it regularly when we're talking. Um, you're a sum of the five closest people around you. Like your, yeah. your, your life is to some degree summed up by, and, and how you roll your day to day, who are you surrounding yourself with? Mm-hmm. So, that's where if you surround yourself and and this is part of where we see issues is a lot of times our people who are struggling surround themselves Mm -hmm. with other people who are struggling but they they might do it in a negative way oh Um, really you know they they might surround themselves with people who are 
Okay, so we, you know, I'll, I like to use police because it's a common thing. Um, yeah, hey, we had a tough shift. Let's go out to the bar and, and talk about it. <laughs> Let's go I mean, talk it, about it. Yeah. it, and this is not right. the whole thing, but I mean, choir practice, right, or whatever you want to mm-hmm. call it. But that is a that's how um, traditionally it has been dealt with. Sure. Hey, we're going to go out and we're going to drink about this, and and that's yeah. it. Yeah. And, and then. You know, so you, you go do that. Well, it's not, I'm not, it doesn't take a doctor and I'm not one to realize, hey, you, you add in alcohol, you add in uh, oh, yeah. chemicals, it, it oh, changes yeah. the whole dynamic of what it happens does, yeah. pretty soon. You know, so like, hey, it's great to go out to Lake of the Woods with, you know, 10 buddies and go fishing and, and all you guys start telling war stories and you got 10 cases of beer with you. <laughs> By the end of the weekend, you've got three verbal domestics on the phone. One's getting a divorce. Like, it's That's kind of God. how it can go if yeah. you start to surround yourselves with all like-minded people. And so what we do is we bring in people from all the different lines, right? So they realize, hey, it's not just cops going through this. It's not just vets. It's not just medics. But what happens a lot of times is that they they start to silo where, oh, we only talk to cops. We only hang out with cops. We only hang out with dispatchers. We only hang out with nurses. So we do a thing called cross-pollination, where we bring them in. We have a woodworking shop that we do stuff with. We bring in people. They just make stuff. Um, they get their hands busy doing things, getting dirty, um, and it takes their mind off of you know, some of the stuff that they're going through, but they also then make this magical connection with other people who are mm-hmm. also have been there, done that, um, come from maybe a different line. We do retreats. Um, the retreats that we have done have all been absolutely amazing. And, and it's because we brought in people from all the different lines and then they kind of form a, what we call, you know, a tribe. I mean, they, they become, you know, a family of resources to each other. Yeah, that makes total sense. You know, one thing I was thinking while you were talking, cops, firefighters, EMTs, they see things that you and I will never see. Yeah. Well, not you, obviously, you're in the business, but the average person doesn't understand that being a cop is not just about driving around in a car looking to pull somebody over. They see things. I mean, I, I have a lot of friends that are cops. I mean, not Officer Dave, but other ones. <laughs> not that no, jacket. I mean, we talked about things, and after a few beers, it does come up. Yeah. Like when I had to do this, and the, this guy was going to kill his own kid, and, you know. They're stabbing people and shooting me. It's like what you guys go through is just, man, I don't know how you do it. Going into these houses. Although I did hear one great story. The cops get called. I was living in North Minneapolis. Cops get called to this house, and they go in there, and this guy's been shot. And the sergeant comes in, and he goes, what are all these people doing in here? He said, well, it's the family. He said, well, you can't have them in here get the hell out of here, right? So they all get up except for one guy who's just got his head back on a pillow. And he goes, you got to go, sir. And they said, "Uh, Sarge, that's the victim. And he goes, Uh okay, then you can stay. (laughs) Fine, you can stay. You can stay then. (laughs) He had to go with humor, though, which I think is brilliant. Because it's yeah. so overwhelming, he had to go with humor to, to deal with the situation. Absolutely. And so that's actually a term called blue humor. 
Yeah, blue, um, there you go. It, it is yeah. called blue humor, and it is something that all of all of those lines that we work with, that is something <laughs> that they use. And, and people, yeah. sometimes what happens is that blue humor <clears throat> is used in front of people who have no Don't freaking get it. clue oh, and then yeah. they get offended. what it is. And now suddenly it becomes a, a news story or whatever. Yeah. But that is that is part of what is used to process things because Absolutely. it's... It, it is you see things and it, you see things you hear things you do things that 99 percent of the public will absolutely never understand they would not understand i said and like i said i've been very lucky because we had family members that were cops friends that are cops all the rest of it <clears throat> and having another great story and this is dealing with a guy that pissed a cop off a friend of mine pulls a guy over because a guy rolls through a four-way stop just, just rolls right through it. And so he pulls him over, and the guy starts, what are you pulling me over for? Starts barking at my friend, the cop. What are you pulling me over for? He goes, you rolled through a stop sign back there, sir, and you can't be doing that. I didn't, I did not. He goes, yes, you did. I saw you do it. He goes, well, I slowed down. And at that point, <laughs> my friend said, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take you out of the car. I'm going to start beating the piss out of you. And you can tell me I can either stop or slow down. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was a great line. That's a great line. I bet it didn't end as well. Uh... No, it did not end very well at all. <laughs> well, look who's here. Did you miss me, big ticket? Like an open sore Mrs. Carmex, man. Seriously, Doug, where have you been? I'm running flagship Ford in Baldwin, Wisconsin. The fireworks capital just 15 minutes east of the St. Croix? That's the place. Anyway, I've come up with some marketing slogans. You know, to put us on the map, read these and let me know what you think. Okay. <clears throat> Flagship Ford, drive a lot, save a little. Flagship Ford, you think you hate it now? Wait till you drive it. Flagship Ford, the largest Ford dealership in Baldwin, Wisconsin. Flagship Ford, where the cows are nervous. Flagship Ford, there is no ship, but we actually do literally have a flag. Awesome, huh? Read this, it's my favorite. Flagship Ford, white cars for... Oh, hell no, I'm not reading that. You've been day drinking again? Maybe. The point is, buying a car should be fun and make you giggle a little bit. This is a great store I'm really proud of. You can check us out at FlagshipFord.com or email me directly at Doug at FlagshipFord.com. FlagshipFord.com. But I think people need to understand that cops have to have that frame of mind. Yeah. Because you're pissing me off by trying to deny you did something wrong. Yeah. I know you did it wrong. Just shut up and take your ticket and go home. Yeah. No, no, you got to be a prick about it. Yeah. So I don't blame them. Well, and those, so, you know, as, as a 911 dispatcher, I, uh, it was later on in my career where I was I was struggling. I was starting to get to the point where I would I would say certain things. You know, you're always on a recorded oh, line. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, I was starting to say and do certain things that I probably shouldn't have. <laughs> um, like you know, I I, I remember uh, calling. You know, I I hung up with a guy and said, you know what, the cops are coming. You're an idiot. And oh. apparently that's frowned upon yeah. because I had to talk to my sergeant the next day and. Um, but you know, to like to, to turn it back, that is that's where I was struggling, and those are some of the red flags. Where is that how I normally acted? No, but as a as someone in the line, when when you start witnessing people who you know do a really good job normally, mm -hmm. and we're in the first responder roles and all these lines, like we're really good at at eating our our. Uh, our partners up, right? Like we're mm -hmm. here for anything until we start to see that you're screwing off. Well, 
you know, you work with John for 20 years and John's been a great partner, right? Mm-hmm. Whether I don't care, medic, cop, firefighter, whatever. And all of a sudden John's no longer on his game and is, you know, he's struggling doing things not out of, not the normal John. That's a red flag. Yeah. And I guarantee you there's people out there listening who are working in those lines going, they know a John. They might be the John. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, and I, that's where I, you know, I saw it with in myself and I saw it within other partners. Where I was like, okay, they're, you know, they're struggling like I am. And, and that's why we exist. Cause there's, um, there's no resources. Don't any of these, um, occupations have like wellness check-ins or. So, so there's <laughs> EAP programs. Everyone is required to have an EAP program. Um, basically that I know of, uh, and then, but when people are really struggling, they, they often get to a spot where they don't, they have a lack of trust of anyone. They start to get paranoid. Mm. Okay. So then the last thing, especially somebody in, let's say the first responder roles, they don't want to, this is their livelihood. Sure. Okay. They are worried that if they go and talk to a sergeant or go talk to, you know, human resources about having an issue, it's going to get flagged. They're going to get pulled off of their job. They're not going to be able to provide for their family. And so now we're, now where are they at? Now they're deciding, and I've had, I, I can't even count the conversations. I can't afford to get help because I'm going to lose my job and now I'm not going to be able to provide for my family. I am better off dead than I am. Oh, you know, I'm worth more to my family dead than I am being. Yeah. And, and I've had, I've had those conversations too many times to count. Um, we've lost people because of that. Yeah. Okay. So that seems to be a big flaw in the system. I yep. mean, you, you are, you're dealing with people that are under high stress situations they should be able to take some time off of work. I mean, it seems like everybody's got six months of leave these days. Why can't a police officer take, you know, 30 days to go straighten out his head before something bad does happen? Yep. Um, you know, and that... I mean, yeah. those are the people that really should be okay <laughs> yep. <laughs> emotionally. Yep. Um, right? There, well, and there's, there's just a lot of mistrust, too, right? So I think there are genuinely some people out there who are in administrations, not, not some, there's a lot of administrators genuinely who do care about their people. There's also a lot of, um, lawyers and, and government officials involved in things that make it harder. Um, when it comes to, you know, them reaching out to get help because then it becomes, you know, uh, it's almost like you have to prove that you are, struggling to you have to prove that you're struggling or prove that you're still struggling in order to continue to get the help and that's where kind of we come in and that we're so a, backwards we're it's a so backwards party um we guide them into help we get them into the right resources we can access their insurance we can help them help walk them through their eap program okay um and kind of navigate them through that but they don't feel they're not working directly with their employer and okay. it won't ever be found out by their employer necessarily at, at that level. Okay. Um, it's not something where 
hey, you know, uh, yeah, we're seeing Joe over here is one of our clients. Um, we're very protective of our clients. We don't oh, share yeah, I'm sure you need who to we're be. working with. We don't put them out on blast. I mean, we have, if you go to our website, um, and kind of what I sent to you guys, the iwproject.org slash stories dash of dash hope, you'll see five, <clears throat> six videos of people that we've worked with. They wanted to talk about their stuff. And, right, and even right. with that, we didn't let them talk like, right away we want we want people to get through the process a ways because um, mm -hmm. we often have people that want to talk about it but once they open that conversation they become a resource themselves and people start to gravitate towards them and, and start talking to them asking them more questions and sometimes sure. that can spiral them a bit and, and we don't oh, want that so okay. um I mean, I, I just looked before we came in. So far this year, we're we're at around 300 clients. Okay. Um, last year, we had over 400 clients that we worked with, um, and and we we really meet people where they're at. So, you could be up on the Red Lake Reservation and and be somebody up there, and we're going to be able to help you up there. Okay. You could be down in Rochester. You could, I mean. As long as we can get to you in some way, shape, or form, we will we will work to get you help. And is this just in the state? Right now, it's just in the state. We do okay. work out over into Western Wisconsin too. Okay. Um, we'd love to expand it as sure. finances and you know staffing. A, well, it sounds you know, like a model that the you know that the state should be doing anyway for people. I, mean, I would really. love for them to get on board. I, I think what, what happens is, you know, they just, they did some legislation and it's, they didn't really include a lot of people, a lot of, let's call it the stakeholders on it. What they included in this legislation, um, House File 1234, uh, which goes after, it really goes after officers um, who went out with PTSD um, and seeks to kind of stop that. It's, it's a, we're, we're trying to help people is what it looks like on the outside. The reality is it's, it's got a lot of, it, it's kind of like most uh, legislation. Let's throw it together. <laughs> yeah, there Let's you go. pass it and then we'll fix it later. Only we'll see if it actually gets fixed. Cause I, I have my doubts, but the stakeholders who truly work with first responders and work with these people weren't consulted. Um, <laughs> It was it was the insurance uh, company, I laugh, which is otherwise I'd cry. you know League of Minnesota <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cities was a big pusher of it. Uh, Minnesota Chiefs of Police, all these indiv all these places that were they were financially struggling because there was an onslaught of PTSD claims. There was an onslaught of PTSD claims because we had a perfect storm. We had the pandemic and we had riots, and we have never oh, done a good job of dealing with mental health, especially in our first responders. Similar to, you know, uh, again, I made that analogy of veterans. Well, we have the VA system. We've got hundreds of nonprofits and groups that work with veterans. We have, I could count on two <coughs> hands the number of organizations and things that are set up to work with first responders. And there's probably 80,000 um, between police, fire, EMS, nurses, corrections, dispatch, and then all that there's probably about 80,000 I think is what we've come up with for a number in the state of Minnesota alone that we could be serving. Well, 
and there's very few resources for them. If you think about it, the landscape of everything has changed. I mean, now there's so many overdoses. All the a lot of first responders are you know, running around just, I, I, from what I understand, in a lot of cities, just Narcan, Narcan, Narcan Absolutely. all day long, just yep, reviving the same people sometimes. Yeah. In the same month. And that causes trauma, too. Because yeah, and they're, they're living like, on the street, and you've got to go into these situations where everybody's high, and everybody's, you know, yeah. I mean, they're Almost all sick. Almost hostile, too. And yeah. ho it can be hostile. Yeah. And then you've got shootings, so many shootings now, and oh, so many God, cities. every day. I mean, so you're seeing all of this humanity just, it seems like every, things are just going down the drain, and nobody knows what to do about it, and nobody cares, it seems like. And I'm sure... If you're sitting there every single day reviving people and bringing people in for gunshot wounds, you're seeing this around. It's got to make your head just spin. <clears throat> like, what are we doing? What are what are people? What is society now? Yeah, and and that's where I mean, it's really easy to go down that road Absolutely. and say there's a lot of they're right in the trenches. There, there's a lot of crap here <laughs> and and not feeling supported. Um, and that's, that does not help that's at all. part of why that, that is what we're building on the other side of that's why we exist. We want them to know that they are not alone, um, uh, and that there is help. There is hope. It's not, you know, that, that there are others out there that actually do care. And I can tell you, I mean, we don't get any money from the government, um, whatsoever. Everything we get is through, um, private fundraisers, through our own fundraisers, through donors, um, to make it so that we can do this work. Wow. Um, we had a we had a event this weekend. It was a, uh, a buddy of mine who I've known, I think we determined uh, Saturday, it was like 19 years. And he did a thing called Cookout for a Cause. So he gets his buddies together that they love to do, uh, you know, barbecue. And they got like 50, 60 Weber grills out there that they're, God. I mean, they cooked an alligator, whole hog, like everything. <laughs> Right, and then he they just invite their friends in. Cook more okay, alligators, so, please. So, <laughs> I was I was there, and you spoke them. briefly and and played one of our stories of hope videos, and and I said, you know, I know somewhere in this room, there's someone who is either struggling, or knows someone who's struggling that could use our help. <clears throat> and that call that I was telling you about earlier today, um, of the of the medic who is struggling. Her aunt was at that event. And that's how we got connected. So doing things like that, every little thing helps, every big thing helps. Um, you know, we, we're, in the, we're in our event season right now. I think we've got like two events every weekend other than Labor Day up through the end of, end of uh, oh, yeah. September. And it's just, but that's how, we, that's how we make our money. And that's, so when COVID hit too. Right. We were, we had great momentum in 2019 and then COVID hits and it was like, crap, we have no way right now to fundraise. Um, and, and, and then providing therapy, well, that's great. Nobody was doing therapy in person. So even if you were doing, we could offer virtual therapy, but it's still that isolating piece. And God knows what it did to like, you know, our kids and everything, just never not having contact, you know, not going to school. Right. All that isolation. Mm -hmm. Isolating is bad. I don't care however you do it. Isolation is not a good, right, a right. good way to deal with mental health. You know, I, I was just thinking about, do you think right now we're in, we're in a situation where on the national news, not so much local news, but na national news and national publications, 
when I hear them say the things they do, it pisses me off to no end. Yeah, because they say things like, "Oh, you're a victim. This is just not fair," and it's just you know, everybody's a victim now. Yeah, that means that the real victims have no voice any longer. Because if everybody's a victim, uh, then basically nobody's a victim. Right. So, wh- is there any way we can change their way of talking and thinking? Is that stop telling everybody they're a victim because they're not? Well, I. Boy, that's a million-dollar question. It kind Tom. of is. Uh, you know, if no I was going to solve the world's problems here, I, didn't, I wasn't quite prepared, but I, you know, I'll take a stab at it. Um, I, I think continuing to talk about the opposite side and have have those open conversations of yeah. this is what, but they don't want to hear is it. what is happening over here, and and that's why having yep. shows like this that will allow us to talk and provide insight and, um, well, and. I mean, I, like I said, I've got over like 300 people so far this year that we've been working with. They can't go out and tell their story. No. They can't talk about it. So that's that's part of what I do. That's that's what our organization does is we spread their story. And we, we let people know that there is this hidden pandemic or... or uh, we don't want to call it an epidemic, but this this is going on right. behind the scenes. Um it's not talked about. It's not on the. It's not a daily story on the news. Um, no. It's it's swept <laughs> under a rug. You know, one of the things that it, you know, I, I talk about the difference. So we've got veterans, and then we've got all of our other lines, our first responders and mm-hmm. stuff. You know, I hear story or I hear news ads. I, I hear radio ads. I hear, you know, you go through Facebook, you're going to see ads. They're working to try to get people qualified for services and get them help. Um, I hope someday we get to the point where, and I hope it doesn't take, you know, 22 a day to die, which is what happens on the veteran side. I hope we don't have to get to a day. Yeah. I hope we don't have to get to that level on the first responder and, you know, the police fire EMS level in order for us to start taking action. My fear is that we are a reactive society, especially in the government and, once it gets yep. to a certain level, okay, now we'll do something. Well, by that time, nobody's going to want to serve in these roles. And, and mm-hmm. that's where I, I guess we're seeking to, to help make change in that we want to keep people in service. We want to keep people healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to give them healthy outlets that um, provide them the ability to vent, the ability to take care of themselves, take care of their families. And and you'll notice in our mission, it talks about we also extend out to families. So we work with kids. We work with spouses um, because we've been, I've been there. Um, our other people have been there. It doesn't stay at home or it doesn't stay in just the, um, just the police officer or the EMS guy or gal, the, you know, the firefighter, the dispatcher, the corrections officer. That doesn't just stay there with them. They bring that stuff home. They might not act out at home, but they might isolate. Right. They might not uh, be just, present. Right. Disengage. You know, they're they're. Mm-hmm. It, it's like I said. I was I was a bad dad. I was a bad husband. I, I was a bad employee. <laughs> I saw those flags. I know others saw those flags, uh, but there was nothing out there to really deal with it. So now you dealt with it. So now you're a good dad. Yeah. Yeah. My kids will tell you I'm. I'm a great dad. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to make my that 14 clear. year old daughter is especially, uh, 
I get high points there, right? Wow, now. I have a 14 year old yeah, daughter. No. Tough, <laughs> tough, tough, tough audience uh, right there. I, I speak a different, maybe you didn't pick up on my level of sarcasm. <laughs> no. She's, yeah. she's a great kid, and it's just, you know, teenagers. But you're a constant embarrassment, let's face it. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I do my best. So, just, Alex just and Andy, existing. what do you think about this conversation? I mean, you, there's got to be some people your, in your age group that, that are, you know, they have new families and they got married a couple of years ago and they're going through their, do you guys talk about that amongst yourselves? Cause back in my day, they did not. Well, women always talk about that stuff. Do they? The yeah. boys never did. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. hundred yeah. percent. So yeah, no, is, I don't really No. Yeah. Boys, see, boys okay, guys don't. don't. Well, and Andy's don't. not, he's always had his like one friend. Yeah. Uh, I'm uniquely introverted. Yes. <laughs> you yes. Are, that's very, true. very, and I'm extremely extroverted. And yeah, I mean, most of my friends go to therapy, and we always. Because they're your friends. <laughs> wow, that support. Yeah, <laughs> the really, really lovely. Yeah. Way yeah. to go, Dad. Thread between so all your great. friends. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> no, therapy is a really wonderful, wonderful thing. I've been to it at points in my life, and I'm a huge proponent of people going to therapy, even I'm if you haven't today. had like major trauma. It's still just helpful to have a third party to be like, hey, this could be helpful. And then you're like, wow, look at that. It is. Yeah. Well, Absolutely. I'll see. I'm, like I said, I'm going to see Renee today. So that's the ticket. That's the ticket. Don't you think, Catherine? Yes. <laughs> okay, then. Yes, that's a great idea. Yes. That was enthusiastic. It really was, yes. wasn't it? Yes, yes, yes. No, I, I just... There are things that we cannot understand. People, the behaviors. Like I said, just anybody who downloads this podcast and listens to it now will benefit greatly from this. Because nobody's judging you. Nobody's saying, oh, why don't you just suck it up? Or you know, why don't you take, take the bullet and don't worry about it? And We would never say that. It's like, yeah. hey, it's a, if it's a tough life, if you can you know, find, find some help, that'd be great. And if you can't, keep looking, man. Because it's out there, right? Yeah, it's out there. And I mean... And, <clears throat> and, we serve, you know, veteran, first responder, all that, but we get calls. Yeah, um, yeah. we get inquiries from other places. I helped the, I helped the guy who was down in Texas uh, two weeks ago connect with a therapist that we knew of down there who dealt with his specific, you know, mm. what he needed. And so, I mean, we're we're a resource center. I mean, we don't want to become like a we're not a crisis hotline, right? But we we deal with people who are regularly also in crisis. Our goal is just to get people into a safer spot at any given time. Mm -hmm. You said something earlier that um, made me a little sad that this is one of the few places that you can actually talk about these things. I mean, so... Well, I mean, I would say... Do you feel like... um, Have you tried to bring your message to... Yeah, and and I, I shouldn't say that we... It's just... Mental health is not talked about the same way okay. other stuff is talked about. No, it's not true. a it's yeah. not a common <laughs> conversation. Um, in fact, well, especially in Scandinavian Minnesota, well, yeah. Scandinavian I mean, German yeah, Minnesota, exactly. It's, it's just something that it, it's so it's going to take time and training of people, education of this is a normal conversation. Mm. This is mental health, like. The more people who do open up about it and have the have the courage and ability to say, you know what, I'm going to talk about 
this stuff and I've gone through this and here's, here's how it impacted me. I think every time somebody does that, as long as they have the, the resources to help support them in, in telling that mm -hmm. message, it opens up conversations and it opens up the eyes of other people who go, I'm me too. I, I've sure. been there. I know right. my, that's my brother. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I think the more we normalize this conversation and, and not make it a taboo subject that, uh, like, I mean, you know, talking, talking to the gal today, you know, she's like, yeah, she was, she was not in a good spot. I'm like, let's call it what it is. This is, you know, here's where this person might be. And while you think it's really abnormal that she might be thinking of suicide, it's not abnormal. It's it's very common within that, not only just the people that we work with and the veterans and first responders, but general public. It's not something that is uncommon. No, there's um, a lot of people that are very successful at suicide yeah, I too. Mean, I think we. Yeah. I, I think we. I just saw a news story last week that um, last year we we reached a, a new high in in, in suicides. Um, that that, that's a bad thing but no. it does not surprise me either with what we've we just went through a, a pandemic and right. we had i mean this massive thing and and people can say and do whatever they think about the whole thing but i don't care where it came from whatever there was there were people dying who wouldn't have died sure. um, and there and there was a lot of other it's like a just a a, a massive spread of stuff that came out of that right um and not some of it was good i mean i never my kids talk about the summer of 2020 where we we didn't have to run to be at everything at every time we had we got to spend more time together as a family unit sure. than probably ever could again mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. now life's back to normal and i'm you know an uber but <laughs> <laughs> one of our listeners wants to know um is there one coping mechanism that seems to work really well for everyone or is it kind of like a tailor-made situation it's a, it's a tailor-made situation i mean everybody is at a different spot everybody needs something a little bit different um some people need therapy some people don't some people need somebody else that they know they can count on um nothing nothing is tailor or nothing is black and white for us There's as nothing you can just say no this will work for pretty all. much anyone yeah i mean everybody has their own thing um so what we do is we have a conversation with them and and really um get down to what's going on you know i mean mm -hmm. is there financial issues that are causing this is there you know and that's that might be the effect right there, that might not be the cause but that's one of the effects is is now financial issues mm -hmm. are playing into it so so we really meet people where they're at figure out what are their true <clears throat> needs and how can we actually help we don't just throw money at people because i mean we get requests regularly hey will you pay my mortgage it's really you know stressing <laughs> yeah. me out well you know what that's a that's probably a band-aid like okay yeah. what are you going to do yeah. in three months when we stop mm -hmm. paying your mortgage yep. what is that exactly. fixing you know it's kind of like the you know i, I would say that's we have done that, but it's within certain parameters of how, what are we going to do as well to actually make a difference. Right. Ladies and gentlemen, the website, iwproject.org, correct? Yes. 
Russ Haynes with us, uh, ladies and gentlemen. That hour, you're supposed to be here half an hour, and then I just look at it like, oh, my God, it's been an hour. Yeah, it happens. It does happen. Thank you so much for your time, Russ. I think, Russ, just talking about this in public is really, really helpful for a lot of people because when I was a little boy, they did not talk about things like this in public, no. on the radio, on television. It just never happened. So thank you for your, your fine work, and, and God bless you, pal. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So thankful to be here. Come back again. All right. Anybody final question? Nope. No. Nope. You're good. All right. <laughs> Talk to you tomorrow. Bye. Bye.